My name's Jose, and I'm one of the leaders. I'm privileged to be married to the most wonderful, beautiful woman that God ever made, period. In my humble opinion, sorry, even with you and your Easter dresses, my wife, Carmen, is in the front row. And we're celebrating this June 5th, 22 years of marital bliss. Yeah. And uh, not everyone can say that. I'm thrilled to say that uh, we've been enjoying this ride together. And and what is a marriage or what is a wedding all about? Today we're celebrating an event. When we got married, the question is, what, what happened? Well, we had a ceremony, an Easter is in the same way like a ceremony. And we had fun. We had uh, cake and food, and we had friends who celebrated with us. We threw a huge party. We went on a honeymoon. And then, and out of that wedding day, all sorts of things happened. Uh, she moved in, or we moved into a new place together. Her last name changed. We got a cat, which is another story. Eventually, we had two kids. Now we have a dog, and we've arrived. You know, whatever the case may be. Um, so what's, what's the, what is marriage or what's a wedding ceremony about? Well, it would be unfair to say it's about one thing because it's about many things. Well, in the same way this morning, let's just think about Easter. What is Easter all about? Well, in one level, it's the celebration and remembering that, that Jesus really died. We believe that. It's history. It's true. But yet we believe something else happened. That as Jesus foretold, God raised his son from the dead on the first Easter morning. So that's what happened. Now, the trick is we want to connect, I hope, and the reason you're here, is we want to connect with what that has to do with us. What does the resurrection of Jesus really mean? How am I, how are you supposed to understand what happened in an ancient place far from here more than 2,000 years ago? We're wrestling with those questions, and I hope you are this morning. It's a great one. What does the Easter have to do with you tomorrow? Uh, The answer is, there isn't one answer. There isn't one. Getting back to the whole wedding illustration, my wife put on a ring. It has a diamond at the center of it. And if you look carefully at a diamond, it's one gem, but it has many dimensions, many facets. Each one, if you look closely, is unique. And so in the same way, when we think those who follow Jesus, about the Easter event, we don't pen it down or peg it down to one thing. We think it's like a diamond. And the more we follow Jesus, the more dimensions we see as it relates to not just Easter, the celebration, but Easter and how we live our lives. So this morning, I want to do a couple of things. One is remind you of the big ones, because many of you, you've been to church, you know the story. Let's look at the most common understandings. What does Easter mean? Throughout history, those who follow Jesus have been thinking about this and talking about this. A couple that will be commonplace. Number one, Jesus is our rescuer. When you think about Easter, it is about a rebellion. You and I are in rebellion against God, and it's messed us up. We're far from him. We're full of sin, baggage, weight, dirt, whatever you want to call it. We're unlike God. But God in his love looked at you and looked at me and gave the gift of life, the gift of his own son, so that we could be rescued from our empty way of living and brought back into the way God created you and me to live. Easter is about a rescue plan. And the event celebrates what God did to make that a reality. Jesus is our rescuer. The second one is Jesus is our teacher. 
When you look at what happened on Easter weekend, Good Friday, no one took Jesus' life. Jesus said, before and after, nobody takes my life. I lay it down. So Jesus is the one who shows us what it is to be human at its best. How are we supposed to live our lives? What are we supposed to do in our decision-making, in our business, in our parenting, in our being a neighbor? We're to be like Jesus because Jesus is the most full, perfect human. And he lays down his life for the good of others who don't even care about him. That's what God created us for, to live the self-sacrificial life. So Jesus, in a real way, is our example. So those are both totally true. Those are two facets on the diamond, dimensions of what God did in the event that we celebrate this morning. But I want us to look and focus on one aspect that's historic. It's been taught since day one, but for some reason over time, it was just neglected, but it's straight out of the pages of scripture. Jesus came to destroy. Isn't that awesome? We wanted to do a mailer so bad. You know, come to sunset of Jesus church. Jesus came to destroy. We thought the marketing says that's a bad idea. But it's a, it's a biblical reality. Jesus came not just to be a teacher and not just to be the one who rescues, but Jesus came to destroy. Now, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to 1 John, towards the end of the Bible, one of the last little books, right before the larger book called the Revelation. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, John One of the, if not the closest human being to Jesus. Walked with him since day one. The scriptures even call John the disciple that was most loved. He is writing to a group in a church of people following Jesus decades after the event. And people had come in with all sorts of interpretations about what the death and resurrection of Jesus meant. And some were right and some were wrong. So John writes a corrective There were some people teaching that Jesus came as the spiritual leader to rescue you, your soul, your spirit, your inner self, and to bring you to God. But because he takes care of our spiritual dimension, what you do on the earth is less important. How you live actually isn't that important. So the end game of this group's teaching was, it's okay, do what you want. Just believe in Jesus. Believe in him. He's a rescuer. But how you live your life, that's up to you. Jesus isn't interested in what you do on Monday. Look at what John says against that. 1 John 3, 7. We'll even throw it on the screen if it's hard to find it in your Bible. Dear children, he's writing to the people he loves, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. Let's just think about this for a moment. Jesus is the right one. He's the greatest human. He is God come in the flesh, and he always does what pleases his father. And so John says, okay, let's look at the evidence of the people around us. Who is the person who is right before God? That person who does right is right before God, just like Jesus always did right, and he is right before God. But look at the, look at the alternative, verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning, rebelling from the beginning. And so in a summary statement, I want you to get this Easter. 
And maybe this is a new concept for you, but you'll find it to be right and actually attractive. Look at the end of that statement. The reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to, and that's where I got that, destroy the devil's work. So Jesus comes to do what we cannot do for ourselves. There is a contrast here. I hope you get it. It's quite obvious. There are the righteous who do what's right. And how do they know what's right? They follow Jesus, who is always right. Those who have had a change of life that leads to a change of behavior, a change of pattern, a change of living. On the other side, and he's really contrasting this other group who's living quite wild and saying we're okay before God because we believe in him and we believe in Jesus, but we're just going to do what we want to do. And John points to the background and the foundation of that kind of mindset, which, by the way, is very prevalent today. You see it all the time. I believe in Jesus. Most Americans do. The, the, the problem becomes when it comes to their life, it's hard to see the evidence that Jesus has done anything because I believe in Jesus, but at the same time, I'm an American. So I will do what I think is right, and I will do what I think is best. And yes, I believe that Jesus can do good, but it's like a new spin on an old teaching. And John, who walked in the footsteps of Jesus, says the foundation from that is not God. That mindset is not from God. It actually has its source in an enemy of God that the Bible describes as the devil. But the Son of God came to destroy or end or crush or make futile those works that are leading us in a path that is self destructive. So I want you to see the contrast. There are two paths. There are two leaders. There are two different outcomes. And if I can boil down the Easter narrative and really the reminder about what the whole of the scriptures are about is that there is a path that leads to life, but it's not the only path. And you and I are already on a path. Question is, which path is it up? Are you on? Which path are you on right now? Think about your life. Are you on the path of the right, the righteous, those who are in line with Jesus, with God's plan, with good? Or are you just, whether it's blatant or just out of being naive, just going with the, what feels right, you think is right? Are you on the path that leads towards destruction? Now, this isn't new. We see it from the beginning of time, but when I say that Jesus came to destroy, this is exactly what I mean. I'm put it on the screen so that you don't misunderstand. Jesus' death and resurrection is a victory over the powers that hold us in bondage that is sin and death and the devil. So what we're celebrating is the resurrection weekend, the death of Jesus, the, the resurrection of Jesus, Good Friday and Easter is the climax, the culmination of what Jesus came to do from the beginning. And that is to destroy the things that are keeping us from God and to liberate us and make us free again so we can choose to live in a way that is right. Let me just remind you, my friend, what you do at your life really does matter. And how you live really does make a difference. And God is concerned about the holy days and every day. He's concerned about every bit of you. And so he's brought you here to remind you that there's a choice. Now, Jesus did not come to destroy you. So don't, don't mishear me. Jesus did not come to crush 
those of us who are rebellious against him, Jesus came to destroy the one who is destroying you. So Jesus came to defeat a real enemy and provide a real victory. So that implies this. You and I are in the middle of a real battle. Now, this is a challenge for us who live in suburban life. You don't feel like you're, I mean, you may be in a battle of the lawns. Like, is my lawn better than your lawn? You may be in a battle of the cars. Is my car nicer than your car? You may be in a battle that's superficial in your mindset, but do you know what? Right now, you and I are in the middle of a very real battle, and it's unseen. We don't understand all that's going on, but we're in the middle of it. And it's an ancient battle. And so at the beginning of the story, at the beginning of Scripture, God gives us insight into this battle and how you and I can be pulled to either side. Uh, If you want to turn in your Bible to the beginning, we're at the end. Let's go to the beginning, Genesis, the book of origins, where we see the beginning of the world, the beginning of mankind, the beginning of evil. Genesis uh, chapter 3. If you've ever read Genesis 1 and 2, it tells us the same story twice. How God made everything that has been made. So in the beginning, there's God and God creates and he makes everything that we see and it's all beautiful. And God says every bit of it is good. He makes men and women and he breathes into uniquely men and women the breath of life. He doesn't seem to do that with anything else. So you are special, which sounds really cool to say on Easter, right? You're special. Well, you actually are. Because God made you with his image imprinted on your DNA. And he gives us life, and he wants us to live every bit of it with him. That's what he made us for. He makes a garden, a beautiful place, and he says to Adam and Eve, first man and woman, here it is, all gift, all grace. You didn't work to get this, but I'm going to give it to you. Now take it. Do something with it. Make your life count. Partner with me. Connect with what I'm doing in the world, and let's do life together. That's, in a sense, what Genesis 1 and 2 is about. But, but God is not the only one speaking. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent, I'm going to call him the devil because there are many names for this enemy. But for consistency, I'm just going to insert the devil. It's the same, same person. Now the devil was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And and he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, the devil, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll die. Verse four, look at this other voice. You will not certainly die, the devil told the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. And what we see at the beginning is there are many voices. Now, I want you to notice this. In verse one, we see the scope of the enemy. Now, The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So they're not equal. God rules above all, and the devil is a created being. But he is against God and his plan, so he's against God's people, God's special creation. He's against us. And what happens? Adam and Eve believe, they believe a lie. They're given a contrast. God said, and then the interpretation of the devil. No, God did not 
really say that. He's trying to keep good from you. But if you, if you go against his plan, you'll really know it's right and good. And that's an ancient narrative that you can play out in your world every day. God has spoken to you. God's never spoken to me. Absolutely he has. He's revealed himself in the pages of scripture. This ancient document holds the very words of God towards us, about us, about him, about life, about good, about evil, about right, about wrong, about hope, about future. God has so much to say to you and to me. So God has been speaking. Question is, have we been listening? What voices are you listening to right now? But when Adam and Eve, when you and I choose to ignore or flat out rebel against what God has said, it has disastrous results. So I won't do it. But read Genesis 4 and following, you find that brother kills brother. And it goes from bad to worse. And most of the narrative of the Bible is what we see every day. It starts small. But when we choose to live apart from God, things don't always get better. Often it gets darker. I was uh, in Medford, Southern Oregon. My sister lives there this week to visit for a couple of days. I got two nephews, Malachi six and Elijah is just two. And they were playing it with a boomerang. Evidently six-year-olds can throw a boomerang and catch it. And so it got stuck up high in the tree in their backyard. So I threw a soccer ball about 80 times, got the boomerang down. And so his mom says to him, Malachi, don't, don't throw the boomerang. We'll go to the park because it's going to get stuck in the tree. He's like, okay, mom, <sighs> off to the neighbor's yard. You know, like mom said for his good, let's not do this here. Nothing wrong with throwing the boomerang, but doing it here isn't going to work out so well. He says, thank you, mom. And he throws it. So we, we get him over the fence because we couldn't get into the neighbor's yard. We get him over the fence. He comes back. He brings the boomerang and then he gives it to his younger brother. And the mom says to little Elijah, Elijah, don't throw the boomerang. He's like, <laughs> okay, mom. <sighs> and off goes the boomerang. And it's cute. I, I laughed. I thought it was hysterical. And it's cute when you're six and two to go against what someone who knows better has to say. But you think about your own life in relationship to what God has said. God is so good that he's reminding us in the pages of Scripture and the way that he speaks to us through other people, through what he's created. He speaks to us the path that leads to life, but some of us just don't listen. So God says, stay away from that lady. Stay away from that man. You're already married. And, and everything within us says, I want to do what I feel is right and good. And even though we know where this is going, don't we find ourselves going on the path just like Adam and Eve? Did God really say? Stay away from that substance, that thing. That thing, is, it may not be bad in and of itself, but that thing is not good for you. That thing is going to control you. That thing is going to enslave you. And instead of listening to the voice of God, who is a loving voice and a caring voice and a compassionate voice, we choose to listen to our own voice or the voice, if you look at scripture, of an enemy. And so that job, which is a good thing, that career path is a good thing, that becomes our God and that becomes consuming and we're willing to sacrifice our family and our friends and everything to get ahead at a career that when you retire, no one will remember you were even there. And we're willing to give up everything for the cheap instead of listening to the voice of God. God says, stay away from, and let me let, me let you fill in the blank. 
What has God in his love said to you? I want you to avoid because it doesn't produce life. I'm here to remind you this morning on Easter that God's voice is never the only voice. Get that. God's voice in your world is never the only voice. There is another voice, the voice of an enemy. The Bible calls him the devil. And no, we're not going to say, well, the devil made me do it. No, you did it. But the voice comes from someone who wants to lie. But when you and I believe the lie, we engage in what the Bible describes as sin. It's rebellion. It's going against what God has clearly said. It's avoiding the things that God has clearly said. All of us are guilty of it, so there's no reason to point the finger. I'm not here to throw a guilt trip on you. Every one of us, when we do the wrong in our gut, God has put something. And it tells us it's wrong. But what do we do? We suppress it. We medicate. We do whatever it takes to feel right in our own eyes. And I'm here to tell you that Easter is all about that. Because in this larger battle, God is out to bring rescue to your world and to my world. And God wants to liberate us and us to really live the way he intended, the Jesus way. Jesus is the perfect example of life the way we should live it. So God gives his son to show us and God gives us his son to rescue us. But we need to remember that we have an enemy that is out to get us. So there are two different roads, two different kingdoms, two different paths. And the question is, which leader are you following right now? Which leader are you following? Are you following God, creator, leader, Lord, and his son, Jesus? Or are you following another leader? You and I, we are already somewhere. We're already following someone. This is not like a decision you need to make in the future. This is a decision you've already made. The question is, do you remain on that path and live with its results? Uh, Let's look at one more passage. If you go back to the New Testament, Colossians, a small letter right after the Gospels, Colossians chapter 1. And I want to pull this together and then make a few applications And we want to worship Jesus in response to all the good that he has done and that we celebrate today. Colossians 1, one of the early Jesus followers who's brilliant because he understood the Bible story, he starts to make these applications to what happened in the cross and in the resurrection. And he puts it in some places in really graphic terms. So I'm going to do a short one. Colossians 1, and I'm going to read... From verse 14, verse 13, I should say. Um, And he gives us a stark contrast. Let's just look at it together. For he, God, rescued us from the dominion or kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And you, you see it in graphic terms. There's kingdom of darkness, and then there's the kingdom of the sun that he loves is the kingdom of light. And when thinking about what God had done in Jesus, Paul says we were all in a kingdom, a domain, a rule. We were influenced and we were following the path that is called darkness. But God in his love rescued us and so he redeems us. Literally, he buys us back. He brings us out of darkness into light. And that is what 
Many of us here are celebrating this morning, not just this Christian moment, Easter, Jesus is great, Christmas, Jesus is great, and we move on. But we never move past the fact that God saw us in our mess and in our sin, in our story and all of its implications, and God in his love did something about it. He opened our eyes to to realize the kingdom that we were in, and he showed us who Jesus is, who is the kingdom of light. And at one moment, many of us here said, I want Jesus more than my darkness. And God does what only God can do. God applies the work of his son towards you. And the payment that Jesus made on the cross 2,000 years ago, somehow in a way I cannot describe fully, gets applied to your own soul. And now it's not just any old sin and any old darkness. It's my sin and my darkness. And God in his love, when we express faith in his son Jesus, pulls us out of the things that were controlling us. Look at one chapter over. Stay in Colossians chapter 2. The end of verse 13. Thinking about Jesus. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Thinking of what Jesus came to do, we were full of debt. We had lived against God. We were the ones in trouble, but he forgave our sins in light of all that. Even though we stood condemned, he has taken it away. And this is the victory. This is the graphic. Nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And here's the good news, my friends. What we have come to celebrate is that in Jesus, the victory, the Jesus came to destroy part, was on the cross. Jesus nailed your sin and my sin to the cross. He left it there. And in a subtle twist that is ironic, On the day Jesus died, everyone around him is mocking him because he's a joke. They're thinking, Jesus, you you said you could save others. You can't even save yourself. Everyone, even the enemy, the devil, is laughing and mocking Jesus because it seems like it's all over. Jesus is going to die. But in sweet irony, Jesus is the one who's really doing the victorious work. What the devil didn't realize is that God would raise his son from the dead and show all of the earth, even us, That God has the power over death itself and God has the power to raise any dead one. He starts with the son Jesus and now it applies it to you and me. And so no matter what situation I find myself in this morning, and some of us, let's be honest, we've walked in in a dark spot. We're not right. We're not right with God. We're not right with the people around us. We find ourselves in a troubling situation, but for some reason you stumbled in here this morning and you're wondering, is there some good news for you? Let me tell you, on behalf of all the leaders here, I'm here to remind you that Jesus is the giver of news that is good because he nailed 2,000 years ago all of our stupidity on the cross and in the resurrection. He shows that he's the author of life. And if he can be raised from the dead, so can you. And if he could conquer over the grave, so can you. And even though we find ourselves bound up right now, Jesus came to make people free, even us. And that's what I'm here to celebrate and many of us here. So Jesus destroyed the power of sin, the power of death, so that you and I can serve the living God.
All right, so that's, that's what we celebrate. That is the victory. That's what Jesus came to defeat and destroy. The power that's holding us back from knowing God the way God intended. Now, what, do I, what does that mean for us? We talked about at the beginning, a wedding is an event that has all sorts of implications. And so Easter is an event that has all sorts of implications. What does it mean for you? It means that there is hope for today. Following Jesus isn't about just the future. It isn't about, it isn't about being with God when this life is over, although that is true and that does happen. It is about the power of God today. He forgave us our sins, having canceling the charge of our legal indebtedness, which condemned us. Jesus provides, my friend, real freedom. And if you're willing to confess before God and tell him what, what he already knows, God, I am not on the path that leads to life. I am not in your family, your kingdom, your rule. I'm, I'm not with you. I'm with me. I'm into my stuff. I'm into my plan, which, by the way, is, I think, the biggest thing duping us and keeping us from God is we think it's our plan, we think it's our path. Let me tell you, the Bible and the narrative scripture it is actually is the liar's plan. It's the enemy of God's plan. It's the devil's plan. And you and I are going to listen to him or we're going to listen to God. And, but when you and I say, you know what, I'm done with darkness. I want to go in the light. Jesus provides real freedom, real joy, real change, and real power. Because he's disarmed and made a spectacle of the evil one, now you don't have to live a path, have to live a life that's in opposition to God. Now, it does not mean, my friend, that if you choose to follow Jesus, you'll never do wrong again. I follow Jesus, but yes, I do stumble. Yes, I do make mistakes. I do sin. But I have an advocate who's with the Father, Jesus the righteous one. And when I confess my sin, he, Jesus, not me, he is faithful and he's just and he's able to clean me from all wrongdoing. Easter is the reminder that when I come to the Jesus team, when I go on the Jesus side, when I come to the kingdom of Jesus, there is real forgiveness from my past and my present mistakes. Jesus is now here, able to break the bondage even of the devil over your life. And that sounds dramatic, but it's actually biblical truth. Jesus wants to set us free. Finally, not only is it hope for today, but it is hope for tomorrow. What is tomorrow going to bring for you? My, my dear friend, I've talked about him a bunch here. My dear friend, Dan, six years ago, in his early 50s, wonderful kids, wonderful life, wonderful everything, serving Jesus, loving God, he came down with cancer. And they removed the immediate cancer, but it spread all over his body. Fast forward, six years of real trouble. Six years of chemo and radiation and tests and relapses. And six years of, of a story that in a sense doesn't make sense. He is a lover of Jesus, a lover of God. He, he's trying to do what's right. But what he experienced is part of this resurrection you see, Dan, even though we don't understand fully why he came down with cancer and why God didn't remove it fully, we do know that in Jesus, we can make it. In Jesus, we have the power to honor God even when things come our way that we don't understand. See, following Jesus doesn't guarantee a perfect life, but it does guarantee 
the presence of God in our life no matter what happens. No matter what we go through, Jesus will be with us. So I've been tracking with Dan these six years. I want to read just one little snippet from his post on March 19th, just a couple of weeks ago. The title of it was No More Chemo. The the doctors finally said, there's nothing else. They tried everything, natural, chemical, every treatment, every surgery. Like, Dan, there's nothing else we can do. And so he wrote this line, which to me speaks to the essence of the Easter hope. He says, time to stop and go hug Jesus. And he's not glib, and he's not making light of the situation, but he realized that he ran his race, he lived his life, and Jesus has been faithful. And in his last few posts, he's just glorying at all the wonderful things that Jesus has done and all the blessings that Jesus has given and this path in life and history. That He wasn't looking against God because God made him sick and God abandoned him. No, he saw that Jesus is with him even when life seems at its worst. Three days later, he went to go and be with Jesus. And right now, Dan is in the presence of Jesus, not because he was a perfect man or a good man or a holy man, but because Jesus is the perfect man and Jesus is the holy man. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy and liberate Dan and liberate me and liberate you. And this morning, I want you more than anything to fall in love with this Jesus to really walk with him, to really know him, to really experience his life-liberating power. And so what does that mean for my Monday? What does that mean for tomorrow? It means that if you're struggling with obedience, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have these sin tendencies and you have these habits and these ruts that we all find ourselves in, Jesus is able. Don't just cave in and say, I I can't help but do it. You remember the resurrection. Jesus nailed the powers against us to the cross and they no longer have power over us. Death itself has been defeated and so you can follow the living God and by the Holy Spirit, God can enable you to overcome. Jesus is enough for you. Maybe you're struggling with your circumstances. You're in a relational mess. So many of us right now, we want peace in our home, but we're in a relational mess. Don't you forget that Jesus disarmed the powers that are causing tension in our home. Most of the tension comes when I want my way and my partner wants their way and we do not come in alignment with God. I won't cave in. She won't cave in. We want what we want. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace and Jesus can make things right, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friendship, roommates, whether it's with a child, a grandparent. Jesus can set those relational tensions free. Maybe you're in a financial setback and you don't know what you're going to do. Jesus is a provider. And when you go the way of Jesus, it doesn't mean that you always have all that you want, but it means that you have God who has all things. And Jesus will care for you Come into the kingdom of light. Maybe you're just confused about what to do next. You're not sure. You need wisdom. You need guidance. You need skill. That's why we leave the kingdom of darkness because the enemy of our souls, the devil himself, wants nothing short of stealing, killing, and destroying everything that's good. But true wisdom comes from God. And God can teach us and God can guide us and God can reshape the way that we think and the way that we live. Jesus is enough. 
And so, yes, this morning we remember that Jesus came to rescue and Jesus came to be our teacher. And Jesus came to destroy everything that's destroying you. This morning, will you submit your life to the leadership of Jesus? Like I said, all of us, we've, we've walked in with some bit of the story already in our memory. But is it real? Or are, are, are we like the people that John is writing to? Jesus is just some spiritual person. I, I believe in him, but how, how I live now, that's up to me. Dear children, do not let yourself be deceived. Don't buy that lie. Those who do what is right are righteous just like Jesus is righteous. When you choose to say, Jesus, I confess my wrongdoing and rebellion to you. I want to go on your team. He liberates you. He makes you new again. He gives you a fresh start and now the ability within to do the right thing. Jesus can really change you this morning if you'll let him. But it's more than just, I want Jesus and I'm going to do what I want to do. Follow Jesus now, tomorrow, every day. He's the way of life. Or maybe you've been here and and you've heard that before and you just need to be reminded that Jesus is able to take care of your situation. Jesus is able to care for your family. He's able to take care of your bills. He's able to do what you cannot do in your own strength. Today, you just worship Jesus and thank him for what he's done. And let me tell you, my friend, he will remain faithful to you.